This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and I'm joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist Thomas. Thomas, how's it going? Yeah, good day Adam. How are we doing? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, big show today, big show. We're talking JobKeeper and the end of JobKeeper. It's all coming to an end. Doom, doom, um, doom. <laughs> you and your sound effects. I thought we've got equity mates behind us now. We've got this big podcast going on and you're, you still insist on doing your own podcast. Uh, so. Lo-fi is a new hi-fi. Lo-fi is not the new hi-fi. It might be, but that's not lo-fi. That's just you making funny noises with your mouth. Um, Don't forget, um, of course, dear listener, you can go and find a link to the Equity Mates listener survey that we're running at the moment, and you can go into the draw for your chance to win $500 of cold hard cash, cash, cash. Oh, now you're all about the sound effects. <laughs> oh, that was a good one, though. Um, so go there, check it out. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback. Um, we'd love to hear what you're enjoying, what you're not enjoying. Uh, find the link in the show notes or the description wherever you're listening to this podcast. So uh, make sure you go check that out. Um, but we are talking the end of JobKeeper, Thomas. And oh, before we get started, I should point out, uh, had some more listener emails coming this week, which we love. Uh, don't forget, you can always email us cve at equitymates.com or head over to the website equitymates.com forward slash cve. And Aaron has sent us an email and he's asking about um, the US government at the moment printing crazy amounts of cash, as are most central banks all over the world, it's fair to say. Um, crazy amounts of cash. And they've just handed out $1,400 stimulus checks to people. Which seems like seems like a good idea. Everyone's pretty happy about that. But he's asking why, if they can't just hand out fourteen hundred dollars stimulus checks, why can't they just print as much money as they like and give everyone a one million dollar check for the entire U.S. population at a cost of around about three hundred and thirty million? Uh, sorry, three hundred and thirty billion to cover the three hundred and thirty million people. Surely the economy would be on a much stronger target than it currently is. And they would have saved a couple of trillion dollars. So, look, uh, as we like to do here on Comedian versus Economist, I'm going to take first crack at this, Tom. Uh, I know you're itching to answer this, but I'm no economist. But even I can see that if we give everyone a million dollars, then the next house on your street that goes up for sale is going to list at like a billion dollars plus or maybe like a hundred billion dollars. Inflation is just going to go through the roof. Is that is that the answer here? 
Yeah, so that's, that's a pretty good, pretty good stab. I think it's largely a logistical question, just mm. sending out massive checks for a million dollars. Big novelty checks. <laughs> I, think, I don't think the US postal system can handle that. No. Amazon could deliver them with drones. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would be cool. I'd love to see million dollar novelty <laughs> checks being delivered by drones from Amazon. That would be amazing. Just flying out of the Pentagon, just millions <laughs> of them. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a good part. So the the checks that are sort of they're not out yet. They're on, I think they're on the way soon. That's getting signed into legislation pretty soon. I think Biden just approved it. Approved it. Yeah, uh, but over the weekend, didn't he? Or Friday, maybe. He probably doesn't work weekends. Or that was Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't think it's as simple as Biden just approving it. I think it still needs to get through. It's a bit, pro, it's a bit of a com- complex process the way it gets through Congress. And I think some, oh, some of their measures need, need like 10 Republicans to come on board to get it through unless they tack it into a bill that's about the budget, in which case they just need 50 Democrats to approve it in the Senate or something like that. It's a little bit complex. How many people do you need to get something signed just to give everyone in the country $1,400? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, red tape. Gosh, talk about it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so there's a there's this, I think it's it's in the trillion dollars, like maybe one I forget the exact one point two or one point nine trillion dollar package that Biden signed into make you know, is that's on the way, and a centerpiece of that is sending out these checks to 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 the American people. Yeah, and there's it's a it's a big question about what are people going to do with this this money. So. Some people, are, a lot of people think he might end up in the stock market. A lot of people, mm. a lot of people. Buy stonks. Buy stonks, yeah. A lot of people yeah. I know in the crypto community think that's, you know, it's a very bullish time for Bitcoin. They expect people to go all in on Bitcoin. Of course they do. That's, that's what they do in the crypto community. They think it's a very bullish time for the for crypto. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could say the same, same things are true about the stock investing community. True. Yeah. And it's, it is interesting. But the same story, like, the the first stimulus checks that went out in 2020 like they seem to be largely banked so people expanded their savings at cash mm. at bank and didn't really so you know, a lot of people did spend it but a lot of a lot of it got saved rather than spent so and we, it's the same same question we've got here in australia so savings have ballooned um the cash at bank has, has skyrocketed since since the COVID stimulus started. The question is, what are people going to do with it? Are they going to go out and spend it on consumer goods? Are they going to invest it in uh, stocks? Or in, is it going to become a deposit for a house or go into crypto or whatever? So at the moment, mm. households are sitting on the money and we're not sure. We don't have a signal about a clear signal about where it's going. And so th- this next round of stimulus checks, the same question, like, what's it going to do? So have we given out too much money then? Is that the case? Like if, so we're talking now, and you've said this a couple of times already um, previous weeks, we're talking about people that have been given a lot of money through stimulus, but now we've got this massive savings deposit sitting in in people's hands that, and people talking about what are they going to do with all this money that I've got? It's like, why did we give them the money <laughs> in the first place if, if mm. everyone's just going to save it and then and then maybe maybe buy stuff maybe not i don't know no one knows what they're going to do with it but now we've got all this savings yeah i mean i think it was a very blunt policy instrument so it wasn't like you think about like the job seeker you know it's it's mm. a targeted measure it's for people who are unemployed with certain asset asset thresholds so it's it's a targeted measure we're not trying to give away money to people who don't need it um JobKeeper and some of these other things, there there wasn't that eligibility test 
to on the receiving side same as the as the u.s stimulus checks there's no eligibility criteria you just got to have a heartbeat and mm. you get a check and so so that necessarily means you're going to be giving money to people who don't actually need it yeah same story like i like we get a hundred dollar voucher to go out to dinner somewhere and then a hundred dollars oh, yeah we to- got that in south australia as well mm. the great state vouchers yeah it was amazing we stayed in a hotel for a dollar yeah right nice yeah which is about what i normally pay but the hotel was much nicer this time <laughs> <laughs> the whole night less than not hourly then yeah <laughs> almost i'm a married man uh, uh, my wife doesn't like staying hourly <laughs> uh, yeah with life with kids you just gotta do what you can yeah true <laughs> we digress yeah but so yeah so I received that check, but I like as an economist, I've I've never been busier. Like it's it's I have, 2020 was the biggest you know year for me that, that I've had, so mm. I didn't need those measures. But it's logistically very difficult to set up some kind of mechanism that that, that sifts the people who do need it from the people who don't. Right, is it? I mean, they often talk about you hear the term means tested mm. when it comes to to um, you know child rebates or childcare rebates or anything like people often Mm. want to talk about things being means tested and you just end up in this quagmire of kind of um haves and have nots and who should get this and if you do this then you don't get any of this and if you do this kind of work then you don't get any of this benefit and um so is it just kind of is it part of that then the rush to get this out that they just go look let's just give it to everyone we're going to kind of you know we'll give it to some people that don't need it but we'll give it to the people that do need it and everyone's happy yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it is is a bit like that. I mean, it's also the 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 popularity of a universal check mail yeah. out. The, it's like the vote winner. It's a definite vote winner. <laughs> not not many people are against that that scheme. But it's also no. like also like you, the key the key thing you're trying to do is not necessarily support individuals through a tough time, but stimulate the economy. And so, giving people money goes into the economy, and stim- therefore stimulates the the entire economy people get the checks they spend it the businesses have money they play that pay their suppliers and it energizes the whole economic system so that's really the key intention rather than supporting individuals it's about energizing the economy yeah which in turn supports individuals and supports yeah. the community so we're kind, of, we're kind of splitting hairs there aren't we yeah but it's sort of the argument why you're giving money to people who don't really need it it's like well it's okay because they're going to spend it and they'll energize and it's, yeah and it's like the entertainment vouchers or whatever like it's we get i benefit because i get a night out but mm. the venue that i go and spend the money the voucher at they benefit from it so i saw a post the other day on on social media somewhere talking about um was it uh the velocity of money mm. talking mm. about how quickly it passes through the community like if you if i spend ten dollars at the hairdresser and then the hairdresser then goes to a bar and spends that ten dollars there and that's a, is that actually a true economic? Because it it had the word I don't know it had some little blurb underneath it on Instagram or somewhere saying um, this is a real economic term. And I was like, oh well, I'll find out about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask my brother the economist. <laughs> that's a true thing. That's that's a that's a legit. That's not just clickbait. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's true. That's true. That's a that's a real thing we talk about in economics. It's not really widely studied. Like it doesn't seem to, you can't really influence it and it doesn't seem to react to the cycle, I think, from memory. It's kind of like, it's just a thing. 
<laughs> as so much of economics is. It's just some things that we like to read about. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was at the RBA for six years and I don't remember anyone once talking about the velocity of money. Nah. I studied it at Tight uni. Tight all of them. Probably no one was buying anything. <laughs> <laughs> the first one the first one proposed the idea said well look when i go to the shops and i buy coffees for everyone and everyone's like what <laughs> buying coffees <laughs> yeah right yeah apologies to anyone that works at the rbi i don't know if that's what it's really like but that's, that's what i that's just the little visual that i have in my head of places like like that. Uh, yeah, but so, but right. no, the, well, the, the question, which is interesting, what you, your point about the inflation, it, it's true. Mm. So one, one of the, the other idea about, so rather than giving it to individuals directly and then putting it into um, programs like a infrastructure spending or upgrading highways or something like that, you're still putting the same money into the economy, but what you're trying to do is sort of diffuse the spread of it rather than concentrating it in individual sectors or individual hands. Hmm. So if you give it to consumers and to households, there's a, there's a kind of a, quite a small segment of things that they can spend it on because that's what households spend stuff on. They might buy consumer goods or they might uh, invest it or save it. Like it's a, it's a limited op- number of options. They're not going to get together and pool their resources and build a highway. Hmm. And because there's a limited number of things that, that it's going on, if all the money went there, as you're saying, it would just jack up the prices of those those set things, that, that yeah. small number of things. And so you would see massive house price inflation. You'd see cost of used cars going through the roof, all those sort of things. Yeah, because it's you, you're, you're concentrating the flow of money too tightly. And so, mm-hmm. so part of the, the stimulus package, and you see it in where, where the Biden administration is sending this money, it's, it's spread right out. Some of it's targeted at specific sectors like the arts sector that has been hit really hard by COVID. But then otherwise, it's just trying to sort of broadly spread it out through the economy. And I think the idea is if you can do that, broadly diffuse the money, you still get the, the broad overall economic uplift, but you don't create, mm-hmm. you don't overheat specific sectors. Right. I'm just rereading Aaron's question here. I hope we haven't mis- misunderstood it. Um, I'll just read it word for word. So, more than um, with the US government printing crazy amounts of cash due to COVID 19, more than $3 trillion, why did they not just send a $1 million check for the entire population instead of the $1,400 only certain people receive? With the US population around 330 million, that would have come to 330 billion. But so where's the three trillion dollar figure come from? Is he's he's saying that's yeah that's not the checks that's the total spending package, right? That's supporting the economy. So some of that's uh, you know upgrading roads and uh, right. grants for the arts sector. So he's not actually suggesting to send a million dollar check to each person in the in the country. I think that's what he's saying. Like rather, so I think what he's saying is rather than the government spending money on programs like roads or schools or hospitals mm, or whatever, right, right, why not gotcha. just and spend three trillion dollars? Why not just send everyone a million dollars and it comes to three hundred billion, which is a you know a tenth of the price you save money. But the and as you say, then people aren't going to go out and buy a highway, um, so then those things will, will lose out, infrastructure will lose out. Mm, mm. Um, that being said, if everyone, if cars started costing or houses started costing the same price as a highway, I'd be seriously tempted to buy a highway and rename it the Adam Highway. <laughs> like, 
if you could pick up a highway for the same price as a used car. <laughs> I'm snapping that up. Uh, right. All right. Look, uh, let's let's just take a quick break here. Um, grab a word from our sponsors, and we'll come back and we're talking about the end of JobKeeper. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Thomas, we're talking the end of JobKeeper on Comedian versus Economist. And I think the question on everyone's lips is when JobKeeper ends at the end of March... Is the whole world going to explode? Ooh, yeah, wow. Uh, no, I think is right, the short answer. Probability, <laughs> I could give you a 95% confidence interval around that. <laughs> yeah. 95%. Uh, no I mean, we didn't see economics. COVID coming, so, you know, mm. chances, there, there is, I'm giving anything a 5% chance at the moment. But it, yeah, it's a, it's a real concern. There's, at last count, I think there's over 900,000 people on JobKeeper. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a. Let's call it. Let's let's round. I know you economists like to round up. Let's call mm-hmm. it a million. Mm-hmm. Million people on JobKeeper at the moment, mm-hmm. and we're going to just pull the rug out from underneath that million people. Are we? Is that mm. what's? That's what. That's the plan. That's the plan. That's the plan. Let, we're going to let them fend for themselves. Is the idea? Doesn't seem like the most caring thing to do. That's got to be said. Yeah. Yeah. Well. The, I think I think the idea here is that the economy has been do, has been tracking pretty well, has been bouncing back pretty quickly, and I think the hope is that the majority of those will that the, the, that their employers will just keep them on, and that they'll give up the JobKeeper subsidy, which the JobKeeper, as we remember, like will pay pays employers to pay, pay their employees. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to, the government's going to take that away from the employee, employers, but they still have that, the employment relationship in place. And the hope is that employers will look, look into the future and think, yep, it's worth keeping the staff on. Uh, things are coming, getting back to normal. I'll keep paying my staff and keep them in the job. And of that 900,000, most of them will hang on to their, hang on to their jobs. When you say most, how many are we talking of that million, by the way? We rounded up, remember? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, well, it's, pro- it's probably more like 900,000. Ah, oh, okay. Let, let's call that because it, it was 960,000 in January and it's probably, it's probably come down. It, it, it's been on the way down. So in the third right. quarter of 2020, that was the peak. We had a million businesses were on the JobKeeper program and 3.6 million employees Wow. We're receiving JobKeeper. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's a lot. Like of a labor force of 16 million or something. So it's, a, it's, 
a decent whack of the labor force was on on JobKeeper at the peak. Right, and that that was always the thing, the deal with JobKeeper, wasn't it? That was that it wasn't it wasn't that people lost their jobs. The government just stepped in to essentially pay, like so the as you said, they kept the relationship with the employer. They kept mm. the job in a sense, kind of in like on hold almost, and the government stepped in to pay them JobKeeper while the employer couldn't afford to pay them their normal their normal salary or their normal job yeah that's right that's is right that a, fair, a fair summary yeah 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 and the idea is that the the covid was a temporary shock but if people lose that employment relationship if that gets mm. severed it takes a long time to repair because well one it costs businesses because they've got to let go of staff pay redundancies all of that story um, but then on the other side, then they've got to go through a hiring process and that, that takes time and money and is slow to get going again. So the idea is, is that COVID is a temporary shock. So just to get us over the hump, the government will take on the payroll and will keep people employed, keep people in their jobs. It was a big call, wasn't it? Like at, at the time. Big call. Big call to kind of go, this is, this is the plan. Mm. We're going to step in here and, and fund essentially people's wages Mm. and some in some cases um for a period of time for a kind of for a at the time it was like when when did they initially say it was going to end it wasn't march this year was it It was kind of they were they kept reviewing it didn't they yeah the october i think initially was the yeah initially october 2020 was when it's initially it was six months after it, yeah initially it, I mean, came if it didn't work months. if it didn't work that was a lot of money mm. down the drain yeah, they had to, they had to they had to take a shot, and I think I think they'd have to say they're pretty happy with how it turned out. Like, cost a lot of money, but it did what it meant to do. It kept people in their jobs, mm. and and it's sort of naturally been winding up much more quickly than expected as well. Like like most things in the economy, is recovering much more quickly than expected. So by the end of right. end of twenty twenty, there were five hundred thousand businesses, so half as many businesses on JobKeeper um, as there were at the peak. And 1.6 million employees, so that was well down as well, from 3.6 at the peak to, down to 1.6 by the end of the year, down to 900,000 now, more or less. Right. So it's so it's of, naturally kind of winding back. It's mm, not going to be the shock that it would have been in October last year if they'd if they'd ended it. Then it would have been, dare I say, catastrophic really, because the the roles weren't there to go back to. You know. There's still a lot of lockdowns happening. There was border closures. There was all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, I know, and we're not out of the woods by any stretch, you know. Um, there's been a few flare-ups just the last couple of days. So is that a concern? I mean, is the concern there that the COVID all sort of kicks off again? We get a third wave or a fourth wave or whatever it is and, and we have to bring it back? I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess it's always a possibility. I mean, it, seem, it seems now that the states are able to manage these outbreaks reasonably well they don't don't seem to be able to get away from us mm. not not since the the first sort of Mel, melbourne outbreak since then since then there've been a few little flare ups but have we seem to have be, get on top of them pretty quickly no yeah so we're always looming covid's not yeah we're not out of the covid woods just yet no so we talk about jobs that are that are coming back are they are they all jobs that existed pre covid that are, that are all coming back are we seeing new jobs being created in the market yeah we i think we are seeing new jobs yeah definitely we're definitely seeing job creation so there 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 were job losses we did we did lose a lot of jobs during covid there were people Mm. even even with the job keeper offer on the table a lot of businesses decided to let staff go 
And so full-time employment is still lower than when it was at pre-COVID. So it, right. the economy hasn't made regained all the full-time jobs that it lost. So, but we're 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 most of the way back now. We're probably not far off equal pegging. Right. Um, yeah, but those were jobs that were lost, and the jobs that have come back, they're new jobs. Right. So, what what kind of number are we talking then? If, if we if we last count, we in January. What did you say? Nine hundred and sixty thousand by the end of March. When we switch off JobKeeper, how many how many jobs are still kind of left unaccounted for? There's an interesting there's an interesting data point in the Labor Force survey which asks people, are you working zero hours for economic reasons? Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly never going to be working zero hours for any economic reason. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Working zero hours, not working. Right, yeah. <laughs> bloody, eco- bloody economist, man. <laughs> I'm working zero hours. You say you're not working. I haven't got a job. I'm between jobs. I'd even, I'd even accept I'm between jobs as some kind of weird way of saying that, that I don't have a job at the moment. Like, what are we saying? Zero. I'm, I'm not doing dry July. I'm just going to drink zero beers. Like, <laughs> just... <laughs> Uh, no, what what, it, what that measure aims to capture is people who had a job, but in the survey week. So the labour force data comes from a survey that goes out to a bunch of households and asks some mm. questions. Did you work this week? How many hours did you work? What industry were you working in? That sort of thing. Um, mm. Were you actively, if you weren't working, were you actively looking for work? But we're, we're taking a snapshot of a particular week in time. The zero hours for economic reasons aims to capture people who weren't working, but they weren't out looking for for another job because they had a job. They just weren't working that week because maybe that was they were rostered off. So maybe they were a fly and fly out worker that had two weeks on, one week off. They're, that one week off, uh-huh. like I'm not working, but it was for economic reasons. It's part. It's there's, there's a sort of it's part of my job arrangement to be. If I was on, if I was on leave. Would that would I have counted uh, if I had a sick day? Yeah, I think I think uh, I'm not sure exactly about the details. I, I think I think holidays is is a separate story, uh, but I'm not sure. Right. But yeah, and I don't I don't think so. No, I don't I don't think leave and holidays count. Right, fair enough. Mm. Um, but yeah, but so so there's this measure of zero economic zero hours for economic reasons, and the idea that that gives us an indication of the JobKeeper number because that spiked. When JobKeeper came in, right. um, and has since come back down, but that's currently around a hundred thousand right now. So, if you're on JobKeeper right now, you would be considered working zero hours for economic reasons. Is that is if, that if you're not working? This is where it gets a bit tricky because there's a lot of people on JobKeeper. Well, this is the thing: so there's a lot of people on JobKeeper who are still working mm. or showing up and doing something. And the idea is if they're on JobKeeper and they've still got useful things to do, then it's likely that their employers will go, oh, no, they're doing useful stuff. I'm going to keep them on. Right. Um, but there's, some, there's many people who were on JobKeeper and the boss just said, look, no one's in the cafe. Don't even bother coming in. Yeah. What about, what about my mates who are on JobKeeper and just out doing cash jobs? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where do they where do they fit in? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it's always a grey mm. area. It's a gray. <laughs> I mean, it's a, yeah, it's like I think there are a lot of people who were yeah 
part time if they're working part time for the employer and then they picked up JobKeeper and then didn't have any they had flexibility to then go and pick up a second job. Mm. Um, and I think you know some people definitely would have done that. Yeah, definitely did. Mm. But yeah, but that's that's so anyway that hundred thousand points to the idea that there are some people out there who are on JobKeeper who don't really have anything to do, that their employer doesn't have anything to, for them to do. And the idea is that once JobKeeper winds up, the employer is just going to go, look, it's not working. I'm, I've got nothing for you. Um, can't, I can't keep you. I'm going to have to let you go. So is that when we talk about 100,000 there, that's talking sort of 100,000 on top of the base kind of unemployment that we would normally have? Like, So mm. I'm thinking like pre-COVID, for example, if we had – I don't know what a million people unemployed. Then now we've got like a million um, mm. and one hundred thousand people unemployed because COVID has had an impact on some industries and businesses, and it's taken away those jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, in terms of the end of job people, we say that when it winds up at the end of the month, it's probably going to put a hundred thousand people into unemployment. Right. We, we that that's probably the best guess at the moment. That sounds like a lot, and it is for, and it's a tough story for those people. But at the national level, it's not a huge number. So you think about like in the February labour market report, we added thirty thousand jobs, full and mm. part time jobs. So, and that's probably that's pretty standard. So if we're adding thirty thousand jobs a month, we're going to chew up that hundred thousand. We're going to find jobs for them in three to six months. You'd, you'd think so. It's going to yeah, it's a bit of a bump, but we're, we're sort of we're, we're creating jobs at a pretty decent clip, and and the labour market has come back pretty strongly because the economy has come back strongly. So in like in the, the labour force quarterly survey, there's like two hundred and fifty four thousand vacancies open right now. Because I think that's the thing. Like we don't want to, I think we don't we don't want to make sure that we don't trivialise the hundred thousand people who are going to who are going to be left without work at the end of JobKeeper. Like that's that's significant and. You know, like I haven't spent a lot of time out of work, but when I first moved to Adelaide, for example, you know, I was I was out of work and I was looking for jobs and I was getting knocked back from, from job after job and, and that can be pretty tough and that can, you know, that's pretty tough on anyone who's who's in that situation, who's lost work, especially if you've got things like dependencies and, uh, you know, dependents and, and mortgages and all those kinds of things. So I think, you know, we want to be making sure that we're not, we're not trivialising that, but yeah, because it can be, you know, can be kind of, Mm. Yeah, can be hard, I think, for people. So yeah, we certainly don't don't want to make make light of that. Mm. Um, but that's good, I guess, if there are if there are more jobs being created, and hopefully, hopefully that number will keep coming down, and maybe even unemployment will drop even a bit further. But because I think isn't the risk here then that we talk about people with all with lots of savings, right? Like we've, we're saving as a nation more than than ever at the moment. We've got all this money pent up, and we joked about spending it on you know, investing in stonks and whatever, but. Is the risk here that the people with all the savings from JobKeeper or whatever, they're not the sort of vulnerable ones, right? Like they're, they're still, you know, the risk here is that most of that 100,000 or whatever are, you know, they're the people that were depending on JobKeeper. And, you know, is there a risk that we're leaving the most vulnerable kind of unsupported? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a feature of capitalism more than a bug. <laughs> <laughs> right like, i mean it's just that that's just sort of how wealth works the way we yeah. sort of design things and and the industries where where JobKeeper is sort of most active and that are probably going to find it toughest are sort of like arts and recreation hospitality the transport sector 
like they're typically either places where wages aren't particularly high or employment relationships aren't super stable. So it's more casual work, part-time work, that sort of thing. Mm. And so those people going, losing JobKeeper and who aren't going to stick around are probably in industries that, you know, they're probably not people with large savings pools or, you know, asset bases to draw on. Yeah, so I think, yeah. So are we likely then to see an uptick in job seeker? Like, is job seeker still staying around? I mean, that's the, that's the government's. What do they used to call it? Yeah. The dole or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the that's the new that's that's what it is. If you're out of work and looking for work, is job seeker. So are we going to see an uptick in job seeker as a result of the end of job keeper? Yes, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's a decent chance. It's a decent chance. Yeah, I mean, interesting stat on JobSeeker. We have the with the JobSeeker supplement ending, we now have the lowest unemployment benefits in the OECD relative to the median wage. That doesn't sound like a good thing. Uh, it's, no, it's not. That's not something to be super proud of. I don't think. No, but interesting fact. Oh. Maybe we could bump that up a bit. Mm. If you're listening, Scomo, a little <laughs> tip from comedian versus economist. <laughs> yeah, give bump it up the. Uh, Bump up the, what do we call it? Minimum wage. Not minimum wage. Minimum welfare payment. Mm. Yeah. And pension as well. We're there too. Yeah. Let's give, let's give everyone a leg up. Yeah. Why, why would we stop at job seekers? <laughs> Million dollars for everybody. Million dollars for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's make it so. All right. Good. Solving all solving the world's problems on uh, comedian versus economist um that does that does bring us to the end though for this week uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the show don't forget you can email us uh, cve at equitymates.com or head over to the website equitymates.com forward slash cve we are brought to you by equity mates media and don't forget that equity mates media have a ton of podcasts now um bryce and alec of course have got their two great podcasts get started investing as well as equity mates investing podcast um, make sure you check out the still pretty new podcast, Meet, Pay, Love with Carmel and Zoe as they aim to break down gender roles and stereotypes around money and kind of get the conversation going around relationships and money. So yeah, but once again, thanks for listening to Comedian vs. Economist and we'll catch you next time. See you later. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. 
Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 